This morning we're going to continue our uh, journey through the Sermon on the Mount. I would ask you to take your Bibles, your electronic device, or the Pew Bible in front of you, and join me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, this morning we're going to be zeroing in on verses 15 to 23. The title of this message is Beware. Beware. We follow the true Christ. But in our world are many false messengers, false prophets that we need to beware. Listen to the words of Jesus starting in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree brings good fruit, but the diseased tree brings bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. You know, all throughout the history of the Old Testament, there was a problem with false teachers and false prophets. Those who would claim falsely to speak for God. Now, in the Old Testament, the penalty for doing that, if you were found out, was you were to be stoned. And yet still, it was a problem throughout Israel's history. Jeremiah had conflict with the false prophets, who they said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. The prophet Ezekiel had said, her princes in the midst of her are like wolves tearing the prey, shredding blood and destroying lives to get dishonest gain. Zephaniah drew a grim picture of the state of things in Israel when he said, her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are wanton, faithless men. The Lord Jesus Christ constantly warned of false prophets. Uh, he would 
say that there were those who were going to come and bring a false message, and yet the good shepherd, the real shepherd, would lay down his life for his sheep. Peter will tell us in the New Testament that there will be false teachers among you. Not false teachers just outside the church, but from within the church, there will be false teachers. When Paul was warning the elders of Ephesus, uh, when he gave his last farewell to them in Acts chapter 20, he said that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So do you get the picture that this has been a constant problem in the past? It's been a problem throughout history as well. There was a man known as Rasputin who was born in 1869, and he gained a hold in the home of Tsar Nicholas II of Russia because he seemed to possess a supernatural power to help the the Tsar's hemophiliac son. Rasputin's prayers appeared to do more for the boy than the efforts of all his doctors. Thus, this man who claimed to be a holy man achieved great influence in the government by telling the Tsar and his wife that their son would live only as long as they followed his advice. Rasputin became openly cruel, immoral, and he maintained his possession or his position through intimidation and fear. On the American scene, who will forget the story of Jim Jones? A man that led 900 people to their death in 1978 in South America. He was a false teacher and false prophet. Someone studying that event wrote a book after it was over, and the title of the book was Deceived. And the purpose of the book was to dispel the notion that the followers of Jim Jones were feeble-minded people, very gullible people who would normally believe anything and people who were easily duped. One of his followers was a man named Tim Stowen. Uh, He actually rose to the position of number two in Jones's organization. He had a law degree from Stanford University. He has served as the district attorney for San Francisco until he resigned to go to Jonestown in 1977. He says of himself, because he eventually left, though he could not get his son out, who was later one of the 900 who died in South America. He wrote... I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were fundamentalists, members of the General Association of Regular Baptists. I went to Sunday school and college all my young life. I attended Wheaton College 
a leading evangelical Christian college, and was involved in student leadership. For two years, I was the president of Corinthians, a business and professional young adult group, before I joined Jim Jones' staff. Gene Mills, another victim, said, I attended or taught in my church's Christian education program from my childhood. When I was 18 years old, I was the leader of Pathfinders Club, which had over 50 kids in it. I had 22 adults working under me. I could give you an answer for the Bible, from the Bible, for any question that you had. I knew the Bible backwards and forwards. At one point in my life, uh, my pastor tried to send me to college to become a Bible worker, and I was very dedicated to my church. Another person, Wayne Patella, who was Joan's private bodyguard and driver, grew up in a Nazarene Sunday school. His wife was a longtime member of a charismatic church and attended church and Sunday school regularly. Bonnie Thielman was the daughter of Assembly of God missionaries to Brazil. She attended Bethany College a Lutheran school in Minnesota. Carolyn Moore was president of the Methodist Youth Fellowship Group, and she and her older sister Annie were children of a Methodist minister. Do you get the idea that it's just not uninformed, feeble-minded people who were led astray by a false prophet? Beware. Beware. That's the word of Jesus. Beware of false prophets. I want us, first of all, this morning to try to define false prophets. In verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you. So, how do we define those who are false prophets? And incidentally, we need to beware not only of false prophets, but we also need to be careful to those that we listen to who may not cross that bar of being a false prophet, but nonetheless are going to lead you astray. I like what John Piper has to say when he says, don't set the bar so low that you only stop listening to people if they can be properly called false teachers. Lots of people are teachers who are simply misguided and unhelpful in many ways, but might not come under the ban of being called a false teacher. Set your standards high. Listen to people who are truly God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated, spirit-dependent, who bear the marks in their lives of authenticity. Let's set our standard high to those that we listen to. Uh, I have to confess to you, several years ago, as a church, we were collecting books to send over to our missionary in Africa. He was setting up a library there. And we asked people of the church to donate good Christian books that they had so that they could go into that library. I was disappointed as I went through those books to see some of the people, some of the teachers 
that people in our church were listening to and some of the teachers that they regarded as being good and sound in their teaching. Beware. Beware. Now, we need to be careful that we don't label everybody who just disagrees with us on something as a false teacher or a false prophet. Sometimes we have that tendency, and you'll find on the websites of, of certain Christian leaders, if you look at them, they're critical of everybody. Doesn't matter who they are, they have pages of how these guys are teaching falsely and how these guys may be false prophets. I want us to be careful about those that we label as false prophets and false teachers. So in defining for you this morning who are false prophets, I want to use four different things that come from the scriptures whereby we can identify those who are false prophets. Number one, we have those who are heretics. They're heretics. In 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 1, Peter writes this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destructions. So one way that we would define a false prophet is someone who is a heretic. A heretic is something, someone who teaches something that goes against the cardinal doctrines of the Scriptures. Someone who goes against the basic truths of what God's Word gives us. There are a group of things that we believe that we would call, these are orthodox doctrines. The heretic is one who teaches against these things and offers something that clearly contradicts that which the Bible clearly says. So one way that we can define a false prophet is he someone who is a heretic, right? Secondly, we have those who are rip-off artists. Rip-off artists. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. There the Apostle Paul writes, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Now get this. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. They're ripoff artists. What are they after? They're after your money. They're after your possessions. That is what they are focused upon. And you will see many of these ripoff artists on television, you will hear them on radio. 
and they are appealing. What are they interested in? They're interested in your money. They're interested in your possessions. And they will make you promises that are nowhere found in the Word of God. You know, send me a hundred dollars, and the Lord will send you a thousand. Send me a thousand dollars, the Lord will send you ten thousand dollars. Well, if all of that is so true, why do they need that money from you? Why don't they just give a thousand dollars to someone? And then it will come. Why do they have to beg you for your funds and for your money? They're ripoff artists. They have gotten in to what they're doing so that they can make themselves rich. Beware of those who are ripoff artists. Next, we have the smooth talkers. The smooth talkers. Romans chapter 16, verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Do you catch that? Smooth talkers. Most of these false teachers are smooth. Occasionally, I'll listen to one just for the purpose to spot what they're teaching and what they're, they're saying, and I have to give it to them. They are smooth. Boy, when you listen to them preach, they're as entertaining as it can be. When, when you hear them, they're going to talk about all the positives and no negatives. They're going to talk about all the promises of blessings that will come to you, but never once talk about the consequences if you don't follow after Christ. They're smooth. They have engaging personalities, warm smiles, and their appeal is for everybody to love them, that they're just the kindest, most wonderful person in the world, and boy, they are smooth. Jesus warns us to beware. Next, we have those who are abusers. Abusers. Second Peter 2, 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemy. They live a sinful life. Often you will find that they violate the sexual commands given within the word of God. They are after sensuality and they abuse those who follow them. Now as you look at this list of, of four things, heretics, rip-off artists, Smooth talkers, abusers. Not every one of these false teachers are going to check all four boxes. You can be a heretic without, not ne without necessarily being a smooth talker. They may not check off all four of these, but Jesus, and through the scriptures, is letting us know those we need 
to be aware of. So beware of false teachers. This is the way they operate. They're heretics, rip-off artists, smooth talkers, and abusers. Now let's look at the false prophets described. Look at verse 16 in our text. Or verse 15, I'm sorry. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Okay, the first thing as they're described in verse 15 is they wear sheep's clothing. Now, what does that mean? It means they're trying to blend in with the sheep. They are pretending to be something that they are not. So they want to look like they are harmless. When's the last time you read about a sheep attacking somebody? I don't think I've uh, ever heard, you know, of a herd of, of sheep, a wild herd of sheep attacking individuals. No, that's not the kind of animals they are, is it? No. So these false teachers want you to think they're harmless. Sheep become an image that Christ uses of his followers, so they want you to think they are one of his followers as well. They're not, but they appear to you. They want you to believe that, at least at first. Because what else does Jesus say in verse 15? It says, they come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. One of the biggest problems for shepherds in the time of the New Testament were wolves. Wolves that would attack the flock. Wolves that would wait for a a sheep to, to go off by itself, to be a little bit separated from the flock, and then they would attack and rip that poor sheep to shreds. That's why the good shepherd was so concerned about the one when the 90 and 9 were put in the fold and the one was out there. That he was going out because he knows out there by himself he would be a target for the ravenous wolves. Uh, dear friends, just let me say this in passing by way of application. That's another reason why it's important for us to assemble ourselves together and to be together with other believers so that we can encourage one another. Because when we get out there all by ourselves and we stop all contact with others who are following after Christ, we make ourselves a target for false teachers. We make ourselves a target for the evil one who's come to kill and destroy. They wear sheep's clothing, but they are really ravenous wolves. Next, let's look at the false prophet tests. First of all, in verses 16 to 20, we see the fruit test. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Right. You will recognize these individuals by what they bring forth in their lives. Not just what they say, but what do their lives look like? What kind of fruit are they producing? He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, to us, we think, well, that's kind of a crazy thing. But over in Palestine, in this region, there are thorn bushes that look like they are grape arbors. And so from a distance, they would appear to be something where you would go and find grapes. There were also thistles that brought forth a, some type of, of fruit, not an edible fruit on it, but it looked like figs. And so when Jesus uses this, he's, he's talking to them about something they know about and that they would be aware of. He says, so every, verse 17, healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the fruit test. What are they bringing forth in their lives? Jesus uses an agricultural illustration that if a tree doesn't bring forth good fruit, what do you do to the tree? You're eventually going to cut it down and you're going to use it for firewood. And friends, we need to examine the fruit of those that we listen to and those that we follow to make sure that the fruit of their lives matches the Christian message that we find. The fruit test. Secondly, the scripture test. Get verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. There are all kinds of false professions of Christ. There are those who will say, Lord, Lord. You say, Butch, but what about the passage that says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Yeah, that is true. It is true. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. But that involves more than just saying some words. That involves more than just walking down an aisle in, a, in an emotional frenzy. That involves more than just repeating something. Salvation is an issue of our will, of our surrendering to God. Not just an issue of our mind, but it is an issue of our heart, our innermost being, of surrendering our will to him and calling him Lord. And how do we know if we're following Jesus as Lord? Are we doing what he's called us to do? Notice he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The Scripture test. 
Notice verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, that may be confusing for someone because you're, you're thinking, how did they do this? How did they? Because he seems to imply that they have cast demons out in his name. He seems to imply that they have done mighty works in his name. He seems to imply that they have prophesied in his name. Now, what does this all mean then when he rejects them? Once again, it is not about an emotional experience. It's not about seeming experiences that are out there. You say, but what about this? What about that? It's not my job to experience. Lawlessness is do what you want to do. God will understand. You don't have to follow the commands in the Scripture. You don't have to follow the directions in the scripture just do what you want to do that's lawlessness you know the spirit of antichrist is a spirit of lawlessness john tells us that that lawlessness is already at work within our culture and within our society and as the time of Jesus' return grows nearer, we are going to see more and more lawlessness. And if it's this bad, when we are told that there is someone who is restraining what's going on, can you imagine what this world will be like when the one who restrains is taken out of the way? But those who are proclaiming lawlessness, that it doesn't matter how you behave. Recently, I heard the story of someone who is now proclaiming in his Christian Bible study that it's okay for married people to have sex with other people as long as they do it in love. That's lawlessness. That runs exactly counter to what the Word of God says. But I want warning you this morning to beware because these voices are not coming just from those outside the church, but they are now coming from those inside the church. Examine those you are listening to. The next test that I want us to see is the gospel test. The gospel test. Apostle Paul, writing in Galatians chapter 1, in verses 6 to 9, says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. 
that word accursed means may he drop straight into hell. That's pretty blunt on the part of the Apostle Paul. You say, Butch, but how does that tie in to this passage? Well, if you will look back in the passage to verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See, this is flowing out of that context. That there is one way, a narrow gate. And only through that gate can you be saved. And there are others. There are others who are going to proclaim that there are many ways, different ways you can go, but that's the broad gate. And it leads to destruction. We need to beware of those that we listen to. You've probably heard this before, but I'll repeat it as an illustration for you. Those in the federal government who are charged with discovering counterfeit money are trained by examining real currency. They spend so much training so that they know what real currency feels like, what it looks like, and they study it and study it so that when something false is presented to them, they can readily recognize it. Friends, we are to study the truth and focus on the Word of God. And when we do so, we will be able to recognize that which is false that we're told to beware.